Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Lord, I pray you speak this morning in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. All right, we are going to continue our series this morning on the Minor Prophets. We started it last week, uh, and and just to re-emphasize, the Minor Prophets are not called the Minor Prophets because they lack importance or significance. They're just called that because they're shorter books. So last week, we talked about Hosea. Hosea had the unenviable command of taking to himself an adulterous wife uh, to illustrate God's relationship with an unfaithful people. So it's kind of the spitting image of 2 Timothy uh, 2.13 that says, if we're faithless, God remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. So uh, this morning we're going to move on to another minor prophet uh, who endured some pretty intense circumstances in his ministry, uh, and that's the prophet Jonah. Uh, We all know about the prophet of Jonah. Most of us know from Veggie Tales. We're going to get a little more in depth in that uh, today, but as we did Uh, Last week, before we look at his ministry and his message, I want to look at the context surrounding Jonah. So uh, Jonah is one of those stories that's just far enough out there that people will actually use it to challenge your faith. And they'll say, do you really believe that a man was swallowed by a fish and lived there for three days? So hopefully after today, uh, should that ever happen to you, you'll have a pretty good response to it. But uh, I'm going to preface today's message Uh, by just saying that that there are two primary ways that people view the story of Jonah, and I can kind of see merit in both views. So rather than tell you which one you have to believe, I'm just going to explain both of them to you and explain why people believe uh, one way or the other. So uh, Jonah is, is an especially unique book in the Bible, and the reason for that is because the way that scholars approach the book of Jonah has actually changed over recent years. Uh, So we're learning more about ancient Hebrew literature right now, and and we're learning more about the various genres within Hebrew literature. Uh, And scholars have taken note that Jonah, uh, it appears to fit very well into one of these genres of Hebrew literature that we call satire. So satire, it's very common in Hebrew literature from this time period, and elements from the story of Jonah could certainly fit into this genre. And now satire doesn't mean that something is untrue. By definition, I think I have this on the screen, satire takes stories about well-known figures and uses humor, irony, and hyperbole to highlight a character's flaws. So I want to repeat something to you in case everyone says to you, the story of Jonah is not even real, it's just satirical, it's a a satire. No, satire does, does not mean that something is untrue. Uh, and actually, uh, by, by rule, the, the closer that a satirical story is to reality, the more fe- effective uh, it's considered. So satire takes real people, it takes their own words, it takes their own mannerisms, their own attitudes, and it uh, exaggerates them to, to get across a point in a humorous way. So it's based on reality, it's based on truth, but it exaggerates the truth. Uh, so the belief by some that Jonah is this satirical book uh, doesn't mean that Jonah didn't exist or his story isn't true. It means that many people believe that there are elements in the story of Jonah that are exaggerated to provide humor as it points to the flaws in Jonah's character. So, for example, 
Uh, Jonah, most of us uh, know that he ran from God. He ran from his calling. He spent three days in the belly of a great fish, and he eventually gives in, uh, and he says, okay, God, you know, I'll go to, to Nineveh. So he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches, uh, and the people repent. But uh, Jonah is actually really upset at their repentance because they're his enemy, and he doesn't believe that they deserve the grace of God. So uh, after they repent, in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, I'll just show you this. Many people believe this is an, a clear example of satire in the story of Jonah. It says, but Jonah, to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry, talking about uh, that they repented and were forgiven. So, so he prayed to the Lord, now, Lord, take my life. For it's better to me than to die than to live. So in, in, instead of complaining or arguing with God about his grace, Jonah just says, God, if you're going to forgive them, then just kill me. And, and people will look at this and they'll, they'll say, hey, th this is his true feelings. They're just exaggerated. Some people will say it's exaggerated to show his character in a humor, humorous way. So... I just wanted you to be aware of that. Here's the deal. If you are on the side of the spectrum that says, I think there's some satire present here, some exaggeration, your eternal salvation is not at risk. That's okay. Uh, but if you're on the side that says every word is verbatim the truth, Jonah did actually want to die in that moment, that's fine too because uh, in truth, the actual message of the book of Jonah doesn't change depending on your view, uh, which side you fall on. Uh, it, it actually only changes the way that you believe the author is presenting uh, the, the book of Jonah and the, the story. So there is some debate over whether the sto story of Jonah is literal down to a T or whether there's hyperbole involved, but there's really no debate over whether Jonah is a true historical figure. Uh, so he's referenced way back in 2 Kings chapter 14 as being the prophet who served during the reign of Jeroboam II. This would place his ministry between 790 and 760 BC. This is a generation before Hosea, who we looked at last week. So uh, we have 2 Kings telling us that Jonah was a, a true historical figure in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, Jesus confirms not just the existence of Jonah, but some of the details of his ministry, including the part about Jonah spending three days in the well. So uh, in fact, uh, when the, the religious leaders asked Jesus for a sign to validate his ministry, not just once, but twice, Jesus said, you're only going to receive one sign from me, and that's the sign of Jonah. So we'll read one of those instances in Matthew 12. In verse 39, Jesus answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And uh, Jesus, by the way, after this, he referenced Jonah's specific ministry to the city of Nineveh. In verse 41, he says, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. So again, whether there is satire or exaggeration involved in the book of Jonah, the basic elements of his story are confirmed in the Old Testament and in the New Testament by Jesus Christ. And uh, I'll, I'll just say this as well. We believe that God parted the Red Sea and, and the entire nation of Israel crossed on dry ground. We believe that Jesus on multiple occasions fed more than 5,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Uh, we believe that Jesus raised a dead man, Lazarus, from the tomb after four days and he was starting to stink. 
We believe that Jesus rose from the grave and defeated death and hell in the grave. And we believe that various times throughout Scripture, Jesus or, or God involved animals in his works. So in 1 Kings, the ravens brought food to Elijah. In Numbers 22, God opened a donkey's mouth and it spoke to Balaam. In Matthew 17, Jesus told Peter, go catch a fish and there's going to be a coin in its mouth and go take that and pay your, your taxes. So is it really that hard to believe that God could sustain a man in an animal that he created for three days? I don't think it's that much of a stretch to say that God could do this miracle uh, and it could actually be literally true that, G that Jonah was swallowed by a large fish for three days. So uh, all of that is the context of Jonah. I want to get now into the message of Jonah. Uh, and again here, the message of Jonah stands out because uh, if we look at all of the other prophets, their primary focus is typically on God's message to the people. But the book of Jonah does not focus on his message to the people. It actually focuses on Jonah's resistance to deliver it. Uh, so we see this storyline really from the word go uh, in Jonah chapter 1. We'll just start in verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a tiny ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now there are several locations called Tarshish that we have both in the Bible and in, in literature from this time period. We're not sure which Jonah would have been headed for, but this is actually kind of just an expression that means as far away as I can get. Uh, First Kings references Tarshish. And it tells us that ships that went there wouldn't return for three years. So the idea here is God calls Jonah to something. Jonah wants nothing to do with it. He wanted to get as far away from God's calling as possible. So here's the next question. Why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Now, Nineveh was a large uh, city in Assyria, and that's the first thing. That's the first problem. Nineveh is not in Israel. It's not in Judah. It's a city in Assyria. And this location is really important because uh, Assyria was not just not in Israel. It was the enemy of Israel. Uh, and in fact, a generation after Jonah, the Assyrians would invade Israel and take the nation away into captivity. So Jonah's message isn't to God's chosen people. You know, my message is really easy to give to you, the church. You're already, many of you, most of you are already believers. It's a lot harder to go out there to non-believers. It's, it's the same thing with Jonah. It's not a message to God's chosen people. His message is for an evil Gentile enemy nation. Now, in a way, this is not uncommon. Because throughout the prophets, God ha often has these messages of repentance for his prophets to deliver. It's not just for Israel and Judah, but often to Gentile, non-Israelite nations, and often the enemies of Israel. So we see various prophets speaking to Ammon, Assyria, Babylon, Edom, Egypt, Elam, Hazor, Kedar, Medo-Persia, and that's just to name a few. But there is one major difference in Jonah's case. Most of the time with the prophets, God tells them, deliver this message, and they'll speak the message from where they are in Israel or Judah, and they'll send the message to the Gentile nations. But in Jonah's case, God says, I want you to go there 
and deliver it in person. Uh, this journey would have taken, I think, about five or six months just for him to get there and deliver this message. And Jonah says, no, I want nothing to do with it. Find someone else. Um, I have a nephew, uh, and one of the first things, one of the first phrases that he learned uh, as a toddler, which became pretty annoying, was these three simple words, don't want to. And, and whatever you asked him to do, uh, you know, you need to finish eating, don't want to. You need to clean up your toys, don't want to. And, and it was childish, right? I mean, it, no matter what you said to him, he would just say, I don't want to. And this is exactly God, or Jonah's response to God. God says, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh and preach. And Jonah basically just says, don't want to. I, I don't want to. So I'm going to run, and I'm going to be honest for a moment, and I hope you don't excommunicate me from the church. Uh, there are times out of all the prophets in Scripture that I relate to Jonah more than anyone because there are times when the Holy Spirit leads me to do something or to say something, and I wrestle with it because I have something called flesh that says I don't want to. You know, God says uh, to Hosea, he says, go and marry an adulterous wife. And the next verse says, so he took to himself an adulterous wife. He says to Abraham, pack up all your things, move away from everything you've ever known, and I'm not even going to tell you where you're going. And Abraham says, okay, let's do it, right? But, but here we have Jonah, a man who God calls to do something, and he says, I don't want to. I'm going to fight you on this. And there's this wrestling match that takes place between Jonah, who says, I'll go to Tarshish. I will run as far away as I can. But then there's a God on the other side who is patient and persistent, who says, if it takes three days in the belly of a fish, I'm not giving up on you. I'm not giving up on your calling. I want to stop right there just for a moment to say something. Sometimes God calls us to do things that we just naturally love to do. That's very true. But if God is only telling you the things that you want to hear, and he's only telling you to do the things that you already want to do, it's usually a pretty good sign that you've created a God in your own image. Because God's desire for you is that you grow in your faith, that you grow in your ability to trust him. And the way that you grow in your faith is God calls you out into places that require faith that require you to actually trust. He'll, he'll call you out of your comfort zone. My word to you would be don't fight him and don't resist him because when he calls you out of your comfort zone, it's not punishment. It's about you learning to trust God in every situation. Uh, so very quickly, I'm going to summarize the story of Jonah. It's only four chapters, and then I'll get to, to my main point this morning. In Jonah chapter 1, God calls Jonah to go to his enemy, Nineveh, and to preach repentance there. Uh, Jonah, as I said, instead, he boards a ship, and a storm hits the ship, and Jonah tells the sailors, hey, this is my fault, uh, and you're going to have to throw me overboard. Uh, the Bible says they, they tried to paddle back to shore instead of throwing them overboard, but the storm actually got worse, so they had to throw them overboard. Uh, and, and chapter 1 ends this way in 117. It says, uh, after he's overboard, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So from there, we move into chapter 2, 
And we find Jonah's prayer from inside the fish. And while this isn't a prayer of heartfelt repentance like you might expect, Jonah does say, I'll make good on my vows to you. So chapter 2 ends with this in verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So then we move into chapter 3 and it begins this way. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to, uh, to it the message I give you. And I just wanted to point something out here. So a lot has gone on in these three chapters. He spent time running. He spent time in the belly of the fish. And we get to chapter 3, verse 1, and it says, So God said to him a second time. Uh, what you would think is happening here is God would be saying, Go to Nineveh, go to Nineveh, go to Nineveh. But what Scripture seems to indicate is God said at one time, and Jonah took off. And just because God wasn't repeating it over and over and over doesn't mean that that command went away. So if God spoke something to your heart and you have ignored it for years, it doesn't mean that the command has gone away. It doesn't mean it's gone anywhere. We come all this time and then there's a second time that God says, go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give to you. On to verse 3, it says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And now what we, uh, what we discover in Jonah is his attitude actually hasn't changed. He's actually still uh, reluctant to go, but he's going to go because it's better than the inside of a fish. Uh, but uh, reluctantly kind of hoping that the people won't repent he goes to them hoping that they won't repent and God will destroy them instead. And in fact, the, the message that he gives him there um, in, in verse 10 uh, is actually a message that's only five words in the Hebrew language. Uh, you'll notice there's actually no mention of specific sins. There's no mention of what repentance looks like. There's actually not even a mention of God. So by all accounts, it seems that, that Jonah was doing the bare minimum of his calling because he actually didn't want his journey to be a success. He kind of wanted to be able to turn to God and say, I told you so. I, I told you it wouldn't work. But the people do believe his message and they do repent. And chapter 3 ends with, uh, in verse 10, God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways and he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Uh, so if you'll put that verse back on the screen, um, Greg, verse 4. I wanted to show you this. Uh, it's really interesting. In, in Jonah's five-word message here uh, of, of, of turn, the last word is the word overthrown. And this is actually a lot like that word we looked at uh, last week in Hosea that kind of depends on the context here. So the, the word literally means to turn over, and it can refer to a city being overthrown or destroyed. Uh, it's used in Genesis 19.21, talking about Sodom being uh, destroyed. It uses that word. But it can also be used to indicate a transformation. Uh, so in 1 Samuel 10.6, it says, the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully on you and you will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. That's actually the exact same word uh, that Jonah had prophesied. So Jonah, Jonah gives this message and in his idea or in his mind, he's saying, God is going to turn you over. He's going to destroy you. But what actually happens is 
God turns them over in terms of transformation because of their repentance. So his prophecy actually does come true, just not the way that he envisioned it. Uh, and that leads us uh, to the final chapter, chapter 4. And, and it's here that we actually see Jonah's reason for running from his calling. It turns out it wasn't a matter of fear. He wasn't scared. Uh, it was something else altogether. So we're going to read it in uh, verse 1 and 2. It says, To Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So Jonah actually says, the reason that I ran in the first place from this calling is because I knew that you're a good God who would forgive them and they are my enemy and they don't deserve your grace. And as I read this this week, I thought, what a ridiculous reason to say no to what God is telling you to do. But then I thought, well, well what are our reasons for saying no to what God tells us to do? Uh, be, because Jonah didn't follow God's call because he was afraid they would accept his message. We usually don't follow God's call because we're afraid they'll reject our message. And we look at Jonah and we say, what a ridiculous reason to say no to God. But in truth, you could hold up any reason, including your own, and say what a ridiculous reason to say no to God. When we are talking about the God of the universe and he calls us into something, whatever the reason that we come up with to wrestle him and to say no and to say, oh, God, you don't understand, I'm, I'm introverted. God, you don't understand. I already know that they would say no. Whatever the reason it's a ridiculous reason, just like it was in the case of Jonah. Again, don't think of your reasons. Just obey the word of the Lord. Renee, if you could come, I want to just look at one more thing, and that's the way that the book of Jonah ends. Uh, it ends with Jonah pouting in the hot sun. Uh, he, he's, uh, the Bible says that God provides a plant to provide shade for Jonah, but a worm eats the plant and kills the plant. So now he's just sitting there where he used to have shade and now he's just burning up in the sun. And Jonah again becomes furious. He again says to God, just kill me now, God. Uh, and God responds this way. This is how the book of Jonah ends in verse 10 and 11. It says, the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? What God says here is, is you are displaying so much passion, Jonah, for a plant that is here today and gone tomorrow. But my passion, Jonah, is for a city that doesn't know me, and for a people who doesn't know me. And he's saying, Jonah, you have so many passions, but do you care for the lost? And I think about all the things that we're passionate for in life, and then I, I think, do we care for the lost this way? Football season is coming up, and everyone's going crazy because we're passionate about our Steelers. Do you care for the lost that way? 
your greatest passions in life? Do you care for the lost that way? If you could stand with me, uh, I, I want to just show you something that, that I believe it was John MacArthur uh, wrote as he's, he's uh, wrapping up the, the book of Jonah. Greg, I have this on the screen if you'll put it. He said, the book of Jonah holds up a mirror to whoever reads it. In Jonah, we see the worst parts of ourself magnified, which should generate humility and gratitude that God does, does love his enemies and puts up with the Jonah in all of us. It says, when you boil it down in the book of Jonah, the reason it doesn't go into the specifics of this is what I'm calling them to repent of and this is what they did and all these is because that's not the intention of Jonah. The, in, the intention of Jonah is that we can hold it up and see it as a mirror and ask these same questions. Do I have a no that I'm giving God when he leaves? Am I, am I saying, God, no for this reason or no for that reason? Do I have passions in my life that are far greater than passions to reach the lost? I mean, the, the reality is, church, we all do, including your pastor. The idea here is, is to see this and say, but I'm not okay with it. It's a song that says, that says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Our goal as Christians, as followers of Christ, is, is to have a heart like Christ. A heart that seeks after the lost, that seeks to save the lost. And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we look far more like Jonah than Jesus. As Renee leads us, I'm going to encourage you to just ask the Holy Spirit, is there a no in my heart? Am I giving you a no or have I given you a no that I've justified in my mind of a call that you've placed on my life, whether it's just to talk to someone, whatever it may be. So Lord, I pray, Jesus, that, that you would speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to us, God, if, if we have been denying you, if we've been saying no to your guidance and your leadership, would you show us those places this morning? challenge to you is, is to reach out to them this week. Whatever that looks like for you, yeah, thinking about you, praying for you, whatever it may be, reach out to that person this week. Lord, I pray you go with us, that we recognize your presence with us is all we want and all we need. Would you use us for your kingdom, Lord Jesus? Outreach Wednesday, 11 to 1. If you can be there, let me know. Outreach Saturday, 8 a.m. Uh, just be here at the church if you can. Did I miss anything? Emily says no, so have a good week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.